This is a Squeeze podcast. We're your shortcut to being informed. Good morning, I'm Larissa Moore. And I'm Claire Kimball. It's Wednesday the 30th of June. In your Squiz today, half of Australia's population is now in lockdown. A ceasefire is declared in Ethiopia. Facebook makes trillionaire status. And QR codes for your clothes. This is your Squiz today. 18 months into the COVID-19 pandemic and around half of Australia's population is back under some form of lockdown as certain states keep their citizens at home in order to contain outbreaks of this Delta variant. Parts of Queensland enter a three-day lockdown, joining Greater Sydney, parts of the Northern Territory and two regions in Western Australia, about 12 million people all up. It means there are a lot of premiers holding press conferences at the moment and there's two consistent themes of frustration emerging, Claire. Let's go with frustration number one, international arrivals. So yesterday, as you say, lots of press conferences, uh, (laughs) those from Queensland and Victoria both called on the federal government to look at the number of international arrivals. What the premiers there say is that as people continue to come into the country, there's this risk that they're bringing that highly infectious Delta strain. And of course, we've seen breaches from the hotel quarantine system. So as things stand, what they want is to take the pressure down to have numbers of returning travellers reducing and they're really calling on the federal government to step up its response and look at those dedicated quarantine facilities. On to frustration number two, the old vaccine rollout. New South Wales Premier Gladys Berejiklian is really tying any sort of return to normal life to having high rates of vaccination. Four in five adults need to have that jab, she says. But the question of who gets what vaccine and when is yet again very topical. It is, and that's because on Monday night, Prime Minister Scott Morrison said that adults of any age could get access to the AstraZeneca shot. That's, of course, despite that vaccine being recommended for the over 60s. And what, of course, we saw yesterday was quite a reaction to what the Prime Minister had said. The Australian Medical Association isn't on board, but the College of General Practitioners generally welcomed it. They want a bit more information. But what they said is that GP clinics phones ran hot yesterday with people under 40 wanting to get that jab. Yep, it seems there is plenty of interest from younger people for that AstraZeneca vaccine if they can. When it comes to the rollout, two new bits of news being reported this morning. The Australian newspaper is noting that pharmacists want an expanded role in the vaccine rollout, while the Sydney Morning Herald and the Age newspapers are reporting that big businesses could soon be asked to help out with getting staff vaccinated, much like the flu shot is done. Stand by for today's press conferences. Over to Ethiopia now, where for the last eight months, the region of Tigray has seen intense conflict between fighters from the Tigray People's Liberation Front, or the TPLF, and Ethiopian government forces over control of the region. Reports now say fighters from the TPLF have taken back control of the capital, Mekele, as the government declares a humanitarian ceasefire. There have been devastating reports coming out of Ethiopia, as you say, for several months during that period of time. 
There's been reports that thousands of Tigrayans have been killed, that 2 million have been displaced and that 350,000 have been edged towards famine in that region. Lots of commentary as well that this has been instigated by Ethiopia's Prime Minister, Abiy Ahmed. He's also a Nobel Peace Prize winner and he launched that attack against his own people. So there's a lot of attention from the international community on this dispute. Uh, It's still not settled yet for the government's part. Uh, Abe says that the TPLF has committed serious war crimes, uh, but there will be this ceasefire at least until September. Whether the TPLF has agreed to that is yet unknown. Humanitarian organisations are really hoping that ceasefire will hold so they can get into the region to distribute aid. Still in conflict zones, and U.S. soldiers stationed in Syria came under rocket fire yesterday. At this stage, the attack is thought to be in retaliation for U.S. airstrikes against Iran-backed forces in Syria and Iraq. What this really demonstrates is that that tension between the United States and Iran hasn't been left in the Trump era, that there's certainly a lot of issues still on the table to be discussed and hopefully not in the airstrikes that are going backwards and forwards and rocket attacks and drone attacks and then the US responding. So still some way to go there, but it's certainly back on the main agenda. No injuries from those attacks have been reported. Coalition troops are preparing to leave the region by mid-September. There are concerns that Iran-backed militia groups are growing more confident in light of this. Going back a few years for this story, Claire, footballer Hakeem Al-Arabi, was a Bahrainian refugee who was granted refugee status here in Australia in 2017. In 2018, he travelled to Thailand for his honeymoon and was wrongfully detained there for 77 days in a Thai prison. He's now suing the Australian government over that incarceration. Yeah, it really was quite an issue uh, a couple of years ago when he was in detention and, of course, plenty of attention on his case. What he says is that it was a series of oversights by the Home Affairs Department that saw him detained. Uh, He shouldn't have been flagged as someone in the Interpol system because Bahrain was still looking to try and take him back to the country uh, to prosecute him there. But of course, Australia intervened, as did other countries, and he was allowed to come back to Australia by Thai officials. It's of course not over with this case now heading into the courts. He said that 77-day incarceration has caused him injuries, post-traumatic stress disorder and loss of income. The Home Affairs and AFP are yet to comment. Mega social media platform Facebook has marked a pretty significant milestone. Claire hitting a valuation of $1 trillion for the first time. Their push into the 12 zeros category came as a big antitrust case against Facebook was dismissed in the US. Yeah, 12 zeros is still a bit too much for my head to get around. I had to Google that. (laughs) A lot of money. And it was just last week we were talking about Microsoft hitting the $2 trillion Mm. market valuation, joining Apple in that kind of sphere. But certainly these big American tech companies are heading into that kind of range. And what happened yesterday was that a US court dismissed that antitrust case. What that was about was uh, the FTC, the Federal Trade 
Trade Commission uh, and 48 US states were pursuing Facebook over claims that it was abusing its market power in social networking, but also in that advertising area. Yeah, abusing that market power to eliminate smaller competitors that included its acquisition of apps like Instagram and WhatsApp. The US court said the FTC had not provided enough evidence to prove the company was a monopoly. Facebook says it is pleased with the decision. One of the things about COVID that still surprises me slightly, Claire, is the way that QR codes have really come into their own. It's now heading into the fashion industry where you could soon be able to track your woolly jumper from paddock to purchase. And that way you can see where the sheep lived uh, before it became a jumper. (laughs) This is all part of a broader sort of supply chain uh, transparency push. But, of course, as a consumer wanting to know more about where your things come from, uh, knowing where the sheep lived, I don't know whether you'll be able to see whether it had a good life or a bad life, but (laughs) certainly you'll be able to see where it was. Uh, You'll be able to get that sort of information with this QR code technology. The Australian Wool Exchange has been working on the concept for a decade. Its use in Tasmania recently is its first commercial use. Before we head off, Claire, there's a new weight loss device that's come out of the University of Otago in New Zealand. It sounds a little medieval. Tell us how it works. Basically locks your jaw. You put a couple of caps on your teeth and then what they do is they kind of screw it together so that you can only open your mouth a couple of millimetres. Put that on for a couple of weeks, you're guaranteed to lose a few kilos just because you can only drink. So that seems like a really great advance, doesn't it? The invention, yes, restricts you to a liquid-only diet but is apparently still enough to manage free speech and, importantly, breathing. Looks a little (laughs) bit like a chastity belt for your teeth. So um, I'll pop a link into the Squiz Today episode note so you can check that one out. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, I think that sums it up. On that note, we'll head off. Have a good Wednesday and we'll be back with you tomorrow. message now from our podcast partner, BHP. Across the next couple of weeks, we'll be talking to Squizzers about BHP and the work they're doing to provide the materials that we need to transition to a low emission economy for the energy transition. At the start of the podcast, you heard how copper is used to make electric vehicles, wind turbines and solar panels. So when it comes to producing it, reducing emissions is a priority. And that's why BHP is making solar, wind and battery deals to help power their South Australian Olympic Dam copper mine. It's happening now at BHP.